1: games anonymous the podcast about board gamers and the insane fun we have at the table together this is chris and this is anthony and this is episode 463 the top 10 vladimir suchi games we like to thank all our patreon backers for helping us bring you a brand new episode hey friends we're back and we are talking my man vladimir suchi The man who knows Rondells, he knows about Euro games, breaking it up, dropping it down, and really, uh, the Euro game designer out there who's done really out there themes, different themes, different mechanics, he's got a lot of tricks up his sleeve. So we're going to bring to you the top 10 Vladimir Suchi games. Anthony, you're a Suchi guy, right?
0: I love me some Suchi. yeah. There you go. Um, I think the thing I love the most about Tsuji despite the fact that there are a few of his games I don't really like that much is every single game is unique and different and trying something new yes we talk about Rosenberg and Rosenberg's games are one of two (laughs) things that's right (laughs) spun out in a million different permutations and they're all good but they're all based on the same two like basic formulas yeah Um, Feld's games often you trace it back to like three (laughs) different formulas right yeah Suchi's games don't have a formula. They're all they very different, and I love that. <laughs> the AI will never be
1: able to capture uh,
0: Suchi. Just won't yeah, be yeah. able to do it. AI, make me a Suchi game, and <laughs> it's like, I don't know. the pieces on a board, and you spin them around. <laughs> so,
1: folks, in the future, when the AI take over, and you have to try to like do some counter-programming to like, give it some weird kind of logic puzzle that runs infinitely to blow itself up, It's going to be, develop a new Suchi game. Like, just, it can't do it. Can't be done.
0: That's the Blade Runner test.
1: It's the Blade Runner (laughs) test. There you go. See, I was thinking of more of the Borg kind of, like, internal destruction because it's a quantum figure shape that could never exist in reality. And I think that's Suchi. I think he's just a quantum thing. He's just, he's everywhere and nowhere and all places and somehow connected. And he makes board games. so. Okay, <laughs> sure, do that thing. Do that thing yeah. with, that, with that genius brain of yours. We appreciate that. So, yeah, otherwise, of course, you know, Felds and, you know, Uwe Rosenbergs are going to be eventually AI'd and we will, you know, have our AI board games in the, in the very near future, I assume. We already have AI board game art,
0: so not much longer. Ooh, that's, that's, a, new, that's a good top 10. Ooh. Top 10 designers who could be AI'd. <laughs> I love it.
1: <laughs> who, who may have already been AI'd, because I right. don't know. Fell City yeah. Games, I, I have some questions. That's all I have to say. Because they don't feel as felty as they should.
0: No. <laughs> <Don't>.
1: <laughs> so we have that for our feature view. But Anthony, before we get all to that fun stuff, what's most important is everyone listens out there. So let's get on to the thing that's most important. What's our question of the week?
0: Alright, so the question of the week this week is what is a game that you think should be in the upper pantheon of board games, but everyone stopped talking about? Oh, What's a game that everyone was like, yeah, that's a great game, and then it just fell off the face of the map? You mean um, like
1: Wingspan?
0: Like Wingspan. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, so there, there was a thread on Reddit and I meant to link it and I I lost the link somewhere, so I'll try to find it and put in the show notes before this goes out. But someone was asking, like, I just came across Marco Polo, and this is a great game. And why is nobody talking about Marco Polo or Marco Polo Two? And it just seems like it dropped off the face of the map. And I was like, Did it really drop off the face of the map? Like, that's one of my favorite games. And then I realized, well, I've been playing games for thirteen years, and you know, my favorite game doesn't mean that it's hot. (laughs) People are talking about it. Um, so it is still in the top 100 in the case of Marco Polo. So mm-hmm. I don't think it's really dropped off the face of the map, but it is hard to find outside of playing it online. That it, you know, there aren't copies floating around everywhere. No, um, it, di-
1: it didn't get what is now what everyone's doing. Some super deluxe revision, revising, reinvented invention, Yeah, right? Some super deluxe version, basically.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And they printed enough copies that you can find an old, copy of like the second edition of it Mm -hmm. but good luck finding the expansion anywhere oh wow like the half dozen copies of that that were printed you know
1: (laughs) that's what the money is man i am gonna open up an online store that just sells expansions no base games just expansions
0: yeah right that's it (laughs) no it's it's nuts like there's only two U.S. copies posted on Board Game Geek. They are 150 and 200 dollars. On a Noble Knight, it's 250 dollars for no. the expansion. Just the nope. expansion. that's it. <laughs> yeah, it's Z-man. Man, they made 150 copies, and they're like, whatever, <laughs> we're done. <laughs> um, so yeah, the game. This is one of the reasons the games fade away because someone's like, oh, Voyages of Marco Polo is great, but you really have to have Agents of Venice because it does this and this and this. And sure. So it's like, well, where do I get that? They're like, oh, you don't. You don't get it. <laughs> There are there are thirteen hundred people in the whole continent who have that. If you can yeah. find one of them, you should play it with them. If you can't, oh well, don't play the that's game. That's right. Oh and my god. Does. So that's that's the lifespan of a euro, really. <laughs> like, should
1: it should board games kind of like adopt this thing now with like IPs they were talking about Steamboat Willie. Like after a hundred years, it's available for everyone regardless.
0: Ooh. Yeah.
1: Like at some point they just have to put it out in the public domain and then we could just all buy it or download it or something because, you know, we want to play it, right? Like, that's the... I don't know. Like, it's the Island of Misfit expansions, right? It doesn't get played. (laughs) It's just weird.
0: (laughs) Yeah, no, it's it's ridiculous. And then you have to wait for the big box re-release. Like Ultimate Railroads, which is $150 just to get German Railroads. Or the weird remake of Bruges, which is not Bruges and doesn't play as well because it has the expansion. Yeah. Uh, It's frustrating. So there were a couple of answers from our listeners as well um, that kind of expand on this. David Cooper over on the Patreon says Cooper Island. And I love that David Cooper says (laughs) Cooper Island. Of course he did. It's his island. Thanks, David. That's right. Um, But he has the rest of an answer here, too. It's a fairly heavy worker placement with interesting interactions, along with multi-level income storage development. I haven't played anything else quite like it. Fun game that didn't get a lot of buzz when it came out in 2019 and still doesn't get much attention. Um this game I I feel like was available-ish in like 2019 around PAX here in the US. And then three months later we were all locked in our homes. So oh. I had a copy of this. I played it solo, I didn't like it very much. I got rid of it. I never played this with other human beings. <laughs> so Wow. Um, I think a lot of games came out on that window in like 2020 to 2021. And maybe people played them on their own or like with their partner and they're like, eh. And maybe they're a lot better than we remember because we didn't even play yeah. them with like groups sure. of people. I remember that game,
1: but I don't remember like you said, maybe it's just it's that brain erasure that happened. Yeah.
0: Yeah, it's like hopping around islands. It was fine. It just it didn't it didn't click for me. Yeah. Um but David's saying, Hey, go back to it. It is actually very good. And well, I believe him because he's a little... my brain was
1: not working then he's a little biased He's just you know he's one of the coopers out there david he's got he's got investments on that island yep yep
0: come on man all right (laughs) be better man (laughs) be better yeah (laughs) all right so uh the other answer here we had on the patreon was drew nelson had mentioned war room uh Uh designed by larry harris of accident axis and allies fame um comparing War Room to Twilight Imperium 4. Oh. Which is shots high fired. Praise. High praise, right? Yes. Um he says, Unlike TI4, however, War Room is a team-based and less complex, allowing new players to join easily and enjoy. I've found it much easier to get to the table and still able to recall the details of each epic play. So uh, I've seen pictures of War Room in action. It looks it looks epic. It looks uh,
1: epic. It's got the round board. I love the round board. Everything, love the just... round board you right. said War Room, I'm like, I know exactly what that is because it's mm-hmm. the round board that I always wanted to play.
0: Yep. I feel like there's always that one game out there where I'm like, oh, I keep hearing about this and it's like people are like buzzing about it quietly and not many people have played it, but when they do play it, they say it's the best thing that's ever happened. For a long time for me that was Twilight Imperium and then I got it and I played it. Mm-hmm. And now now it's War Room where people keep mentioning War Room. But I need to play War Room.
1: Yeah. For me, it's Mega Civilization that we never played. Yeah. Which is yeah. like 18 players or something like that. And then they eventually they were like, yeah, no one's playing this. Let's make a half version of this. Right. <laughs> and and then I don't think anyone played it. But for a minute, it was Mega Civilization for me. But go ahead.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So anyways, there are a few games for you that should be in the upper pantheon of board games, but everyone stopped talking about. Uh, for me, there's a handful. I have a, like a bunch on my shelf. I think the one though that I wish would come back And it's not Spirium, because I mentioned it Oh, damn it! (laughs) But another one that I wish would come back, especially with the expansion, which really amplifies the game, is Shakespeare. Okay. Shakespeare is such a good game in which you are putting on the plays of Shakespeare, and it has this very creative, interesting bidding mechanic that determines how many actions you get in a round. Mm. And I haven't seen it in any other game since, and it really makes you think, Every single round, what you're doing, what you're trying to do, how you're going to outplay your opponents. I love that game. And it just kind of faded away, as a lot of these games do. Um, it was Estari Tari games bef- slightly before Asmodee picked them up. Um, the backstage expansion really expands on it a lot and gives you something to do with all the tokens that you do not bid when you're bidding on uh, actions. So Shakespeare. I-, I think Shakespeare is a top 100 game that should be talked about more.
1: Wow. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's weird how a lot of those early games about five, seven years ago just were amazing, didn't get a print run, and just disappeared despite the hype. Right. So, all right. Well, again, if you would love to hit us up, we would love to hear from you. So again, all of our social medias always at all times until they get closed down by some mega billionaire. But in the meantime, (laughs) you can always find us on patreon.com slash BGA where you'll find a ton of content from us. And Anthony, what's coming up from you?
0: Yeah, so I'm on my uh, top 10 list craze right now. I I did a top 10 uh, a couple weeks ago of my top 10 games of 2023. Um, The article is also up on the website if you want to read it in full. But it's about 30 minutes or so of me going through my 10 favorite games of last year, plus an 11-game-long honorable mention list. So Uh it was a good year, basically. Um, and so, uh, this week I'm going to talk about my top 10 favorite movies and not from 2023, just in general, because why not? It's fun. <laughs> yeah. My son asked me to put together a list. I made a list and I was like, Hey, why don't I record this list? It'll be fun to do. So, um, we doing that this week and it it's actually very interesting because I've been saying there's a movie that's my favorite movie for about 20 years and the last two years it actually changed. So it's kind of fun to talk through why it changed and how it changed and, and where I'm at as a movie watcher.
1: Yeah, no, it's fantastic. And again, a lot of those, again, one of the, I think of the really cool, neat things is that movie theaters have changed a lot. And there is a lot of movies that are coming back out into theaters that we never thought we'd see. which is again, it's, it's weird how like physical copies of movies are disappearing. Yeah. Try to find a DVD or a Blu-ray somewhere. You know, or again, where's you know, streaming subscriptions, you don't really own your movies anymore and they just disappear because contracts are subscriptions. And now old movies are coming back. I saw Amelie in the theater on Valentine's ooh, Day. And yeah, and I'm uh, going to go see, also I think it's during the Valentine's Day week, uh, Internal Sunshine and Spotless Mind, ooh, which is okay. one of my favorite movies of all time. Good yeah. sci-fi movie if you didn't see it.
0: I, I've honestly, I've started buying blu-rays again of my favorite movies because Great. there's been a handful of them that have just disappeared from the streaming service that I yeah. knew they were on. And sure. I was like, wait a second. I thought that was there. Where is it now? Oh, right now it's nowhere. I have to buy it again. Yeah. I'm just going to buy the physical version. And I was like, well, I might as well buy the movies I know I like. Yeah. So I've, I've been building back up a collection that I actually got rid of many years ago. So
1: we were promised stream, <laughs> We were promised
0: digital stuff. Streaming sucks. Just god. In case you're not all aware It's terrible It is the worst I hate it Yeah but It's bad
1: I, I just hate the uh I don't know The arrogance Of the streaming companies now Where they're like You know what We're gonna We're gonna put ads now You're gonna pay more now And you're not gonna be able To share it anymore and you're just like Oh dear god All the yeah. things And they're like It's like the Dark Vader scene Where he's like Pray that I n- do not Change the deal anymore Like oh my god steel deal keeps getting worse <laughs>
0: I know. That's yeah.
1: Amazon I, held back a lot of their shows. I think like Invincible's supposed to be coming out, the boys and stuff like that, because they want to remind you that now there's commercials because yeah. three to more three dollars more a month they need because the billions are not enough or trillions at this point. Ridiculous.
0: Ridiculous.
1: Yeah. A little bit of a problem. So yeah, so certainly download this episode because God only knows if this will last. <laughs> right. <laughs> Ah, uh, good times. But again, you can find us everywhere as long as everywhere is still a thing, but always patreon.com or wherever we happen to be. Always lovely to see you. Great to get to the table. Thanks so much for your support. In whatever way you can support us, it makes a big difference. So share the podcast with other people, convince more people to play board games. That's really what we want everyone to be doing. Yeah. All right, Anthony. So that's what's going on with our friends out there. Uh, let's talk about the games that we want at the table. Let's talk about our Acquisition Disorders.
0: Alright. I, so I have a twin billing this week. Oh! Uh, I didn't... Like, I knew there was a Dante game coming out. I didn't realize there was two coming out. And I certainly didn't realize they were coming out on the same day. So, we have two games on Game Found Launching on February 20th. Which is four days from now. And I... I don't know how this happened. And... I feel like there's probably an explanation for how it happened, and I just couldn't find it. So if you're listening and you're like, I know why this happened, let me know. Because <laughs> I'm actually legitimately interested, and I just ran out of time to dig deeper onto this. But we have Inferno Deluxe Edition by uh-huh. Red Mojo Games. Uh, that is coming to GameFound, like I said, in three days from recording, so the day you're listening to this. And then we have Dante colon Inferno from Creative Game Studios coming the same day. And these are both games based on Dante's Divine Comedy, um, also more colloquially known as Dante's Inferno. And I, it's a great theme. You can do a lot with this. There's been video games based on this. There's been movies based on this. I, I'm fully on board with using Dante as a theme. But it's an interesting way to approach a board game for several reasons. One, the text is very dense. Right. There's a lot happening. There's a lot of subtext to it. And there's a lot of narrative within that subtext as the we have the travel down the nine circles of hell, right? So I'm like, okay, is there a nuance to this board game, or is it just like really cool miniatures banging into each other? It seems to be mostly the miniature thing <laughs> with a little bit of the narrative thing. Um, so starting off with Inferno Deluxe. Uh Inferno Deluxe Edition. This is coming from Red Mojo Games. Um, it's a company out of Spain. The only game that I can see that they've done in the past is Tindaya, which is an area-majority type <clears throat> of game based on like the Canary Islands. So it's kind of a Euro game you know, survival type thing. Um, so this is the more Euro-y of the two. Uh, we have, they call it a Soul Collection worker well they don't even call it a worker placement they call it soul collection game it's it's worker placement <laughs> it's worker placement um so you have miniatures for sure right there are miniatures you have Medusa there's the Minotaur um, there's Geryon. there's King Minos um Anteos Cerberus like all these Greek mythological figures that are in Dante's divine comedy um as he kind of descends into the circles of hell But you also have Dante himself as a little wooden meeple and 71 different souls, which are like little soul-like looking meeples, um, based on the seven, on the different types of sins, the nine types of sins, um, which structurally, if you're not familiar with the Divine Comedy, there's like the nine layers are based on these nine different sin types. There's different location tiles, there's different player boards, um, you're building out towers, kind of in the town outside of hell. Um, So. I'm not going to go into like Dante's text necessarily, but it seems to be trying to represent a lot of that with Euro mechanisms. There are cubes, there are meeple, there are monies, there are tiles, right? Like it is much more Euro oriented. This is the game that I'm gravitating towards. This is what my original uh, acquisition disorder was going to be. And you have like the, the six miniatures representing these different guardians as you go down. Um, So, I'm interested in this for all those reasons. Like, I love the text. I love kind of the aesthetic going on here. I like that it's a Euro. It's not just like miniatures banging into each other on a map. And then we get to Dante Inferno. This is coming from Creative Game Gaming Studios, um, which is a slightly more developed company in the sense that they've done other things like this. It did Chronicles of Drunogor, um, the Towers of Arcanos, So they've done a few games, they've done crowdfunding campaigns before, um, and they've done a lot of big miniatures. So you know they have like the backing to do this type of stuff. This, like the other one, is a game about Dante and his divine comedy and descending the nine circles of hell. But in this one, they are presenting it as a narrative structure, narrative campaign, right? Each narrative grouping is about 45 minutes long. You also have a showdown mode where you're just fighting each other because why not? But there are narrative branches in which you kind of go down into each of these levels and face off against a boss at each of the nine levels, right? So there is a Dante figure that you can have, or you can be one of the champions, right? Which is just like these various things they've kind of created uh, for this course of the game. And then you go through the circles of Inferno, which are in these little boxes in, in... in the game you get limbo and lust and gluttony and avarice and so on and so forth. Like the nine sins. Um, and each of these sins is represented by a boss, which is usually kind of tangentially related to, again, like a Greek mythological figure, right? So you have Cerberus or version of Cerberus there? Um, you have like this version of like Achilles that you're fighting. Um, you have like the, the, sirens and the harpies and so it's interesting from that perspective as somebody who's studied the classics i find this interesting but i also find it a little overkill (laughs) in how they've kind of presented these different figures and characters um there are like standy versions of these you don't necessarily have to go with the miniatures but come on really come on of course you're going with miniatures um it's bigger it's more expensive there's a lot of terrain there's a lot of stuff it's all the stuff in the box this is the type of game i usually make fun of when we do our uh Hotness, so I love the stuff that they've included, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't pay the the crazy money that this will probably cost to get all the things. So we have two games here, each of them using De- Dante's Divine Comedy, each of them launching at the same time, each of them probably running for the same amount of time. I guarantee you, Dante Inferno will make all the monies, and Inferno Deluxe Edition will make much less monies. Um, I don't know why neither of these companies blinked and decided, hey, let's push this back. Maybe they're thinking, oh, we don't want to be the second Dante game. We'll just run at the same time. But it's funny. It's weird. It's like when Deep Impact and Armageddon opened like two weeks apart from each other back in like 1997. You're like, really? That parallel thought, but then nobody wants to blink and change. Um, that's what we have going on here. So Dante, if you're a Dante fan out there, you study Italian literature, Classic Italian literature. <clears throat> this is this is the week for you on GameFound. Wow, that is really interesting,
1: Anthony. Two games about Dante's Inferno. Yeah. All right. Weird. Super weird. Well, <laughs> I have something completely different. Uh, this is a game on GameFound. It's still in campaign preview. It'll be coming out this quarter. It's called Forsaken Dante's Inferno. By TopTecker LLC. There's a third one, Anthony. You missed the third one.
0: I don't miss the, the third one.
1: <laughs> there's a third one. There's also an RPG, but we won't talk about that. And then we used to be a card card game, but then, But there's a third one that's coming out at the same time as the other two, and this one is about all of the, I guess, bad people more or less who have died and gone to hell. And you get to play one of the characters that's trying to escape all these levels of hell. So it's got miniatures. It's got pretty cool artwork. It's got realms of hell. You can play as Billy the Kid because, you know, Billy the Kid. Or Cleopatra. I don't know why she's here. Uh, Or Sheikarara. I don't Maybe I know why he's here. But nonetheless. What is this? This (laughs) this is a. This is a thing. It's another Dante game because there's not enough.
0: All right. So this is another Dante game. I will not argue with that. There but you this go. One looks, this one looks bad. Well, that's relative to you. <laughs> <laughs> I
1: would say it's one of three Dante games coming out. So
0: yeah,
1: yeah. It's a two to four player game. It's a board game. It's a legit board game if it does yeah. eventually come out. And again, again, big shout out to GameFound. Like awesome promoting crowdfunding for board games, like tabletop games, all tabletop games, like. A hundred support. Love you. Love, love, love. But dear God, can you stop with these campaign previews that like just sit there for eternity? Because like this is coming out, but also is it coming out? It's coming out. Maybe. I don't know. So, you know, it's one of the levels of hell. That's all I'm saying. I'm just, I'm just, I'm just saying. So, but yes, there is, you know, another level of hell. At Anthony, you get to manipulate a three-dimensional board to gain advantage or send opponents in traps, they're saying.
0: I you know what? The the circular board looks interesting and the artwork doesn't even look terrible, but when you throw Che Guevara in there, um it's not really Dante's Inferno anymore, is it? No, it's I I mean I, I yeah, I, I don't know. Yeah, the Napoleon on the cover <laughs> there looks like Cleopatra's trying to eat him. Like what is happening?
1: Well, they're all the forsaken people that are in hell yeah. and they're trying to get out of Dante's hell levels because that's not what that book is about come on dude it's about rings it, it's like it's like mario party right like you're all trying to do the thing to get out of the certain levels and right yeah yeah i, I,
0: I do love that they you know they got some like cortez is in there as being in hell that's good but at the same time what are we doing <laughs> i don't know i don't know again like
1: having watched so many crowd surface updates and things like this it's just always like sure Sure, it's a thing. i believe yeah. it when I see it. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, they have an Al Capone in here too.
0: Yeah, sure. Why not? We'll just put all the bad people. <laughs> that you know, stretch goal number nine is going to be Hitler. You know it is. Well, you know, yeah, uh. All right. So these are things. These yeah. are things I that are also on the think internet. That's gross. Yes.
1: <laughs> I'm just refusing to comment on that. But yeah, that's sure. probably good. That's good. That's not comment. <laughs> I think it's, it's fine to note that it exists and then just move on because I think that's the more, I, as we were talking earlier, Anthony, the more polite thing to do. And if we are nothing, we are very polite gentlemen who are talking about tabletop Yes. Yeah. and it's <laughs> unique, I don't know, ideas of classic literature that obviously you as a, a major lit person, is just, yeah, it's, it's torturing you a little bit, right? Just a little bit. A little bit, a little bit. Because kids are going to play this game and think that's what the book is, right?
0: No one's going to read Dante in the 2020s, so I guess I don't really mind that much. As long as they know by playing it that it is actually literature that they couldn't theoretically go read. So you're saying that
1: one day a college classroom, instead of reading the book, won't be playing one of these board games?
0: I teach that class, so
1: yeah, (laughs) sure. He's back in, fellas! We got him back, come on!
0: I'll do that. (laughs)
1: See? As I tell people, there's always, no matter what the topic is, no matter how crazy outlandish the subject matter, there's always a tabletop game that is a thing about it. Because that's how, you know, the internet and tabletop gaming works. So, yeah, that's our acquisition disorders, because reasons. And, you know, Dante Furner, which is also very, very good read, (laughs) nonetheless. And again... To be fair, it's, it's somewhat some of the formation of what we think hell is like, because someone wrote a book. Yeah. So, I don't know. It's, a good, it's I, a good conversation starter, at least.
0: I find it fascinating, as somebody who studied classics in any sense, like, much of our conception of hell yes. in the modern sense is from Dante, Where was think... just making shit up, which is great. Yeah, and
1: then initially, like, if you ask people, they'll give you a depiction of it, and they think it's from a holy text, but it's yeah. not. It's from Dante's Inferno. And they're like, yeah. I had no idea. So he really got into the zeitgeist. And therefore three games at the same time. So, yeah, <laughs> could be a sign of the apocalypse, folks? I don't know. We'll see. <laughs>
0: 2024 is shaping up great so far. Woo! So we'll
1: see how it goes. There you go. All right. Well, that's our acquisition <laughs> disorders, or not. I don't know. <laughs> the acquisition disorder categories and feature has become a thing of its own. So we'll we'll take a look at it later and see if it survives. Nonetheless, Anthony, let's talk about the games that actually matter. Let's talk about our at the tables. So, Anthony, I got to play a bunch of games uh, over the last week or so, and I want to talk about all the cool games, some of the lighter side of tabletop gaming. So, where to start? Let's let's start with I guess the probably the newest thing that that came out is you and I have both played at this point, uh, Dominion, right? I know that's not new, people. I know, don't, don't yell at your podcast player. Don't throw it on your phone. But Dominion has an app. Again, don't throw it on your phone. Don't get upset. I know that there was a free thing that was kind of Dominion, and we all played it, and we looked the other way. But now Dominion actually has a legit app, actually has a legit game on Steam for PCs, unfortunately only. And it's out there along with All of its expansions. Now we've heard about this, this was beta for a long time, and we weren't sure how good it was going to be, how good or how many of the expansions they were going to include, what the cost was going to be. But Anthony, it's out there, and guess what, my friend? It's
0: free! Woo! Yeah, everything in Dominion for free—that's crazy. Like what, that's what, so what, much what,
1: content. What? What? No! 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 No!
0: So no! 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 Oh, close. The base okay. game is free. The base game. Oh! 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 Okay. So the, the boring part that doesn't have very much to do. Okay, oh, yeah. come on, man.
1: <laughs> I'm not saying it's not true, but yeah, I, I, the base game is free. But All again, right. you get—if you have not played Dominion before, it is. The quintessential deck builder. It's
0: it's the, the proto deck builder.
1: Yeah, you know. Well, all right. That's all right, come on. You're being a little harsh here. You're being a little harsh. Deck Dominion's cool. All the cool kids played Dominion, right?
0: Or did I? I like Dominion if you put in some expansion content, which apparently is not free. So uh... all right. Well, look for the
1: very low price of ninety nine dollars. You could get all of the expansions bundled, huh. bro. Bundled for you, ninety nine dollars
0: on my phone.
1: Now, I should say yeah. the free thing we played, the expansions, we did get a free code. So we did play yeah. the expansions. But if you want to pick up the expansions as a bundle, $99. If you're going to pick up the all the expansions separate, it's going to cost you know quite a bit more than that.
0: It was $120. Many, $1. many dollars.
1: Yeah. Now that being said, as Anthony was was talking about, Dominion's a deck builder. Uh again, if you've not played a deck builder, you should. There's a lot out there every flavor of the rainbow that's out there. And basically, you start with a deck of cards. They're typically very light and weak kind of cards. And throughout the game, you use your cards to purchase or acquire other cards to go into your deck. So as the game goes on, you're playing more and more powerful cards. And in particular, with Dominion, you're picking up action cards to get money cards to get victory point cards. That's kind of the base level. You've probably already played this kind of format in Ascension, which is another deck builder, but with all creatures and sorcery and spells and stuff. Uh, that's also a free app out there, not the expansions. The expansions you do have to pay for. But this was, this was the original. This was Dominion. This was Now, what really Dominion's known for, as Anthony was mentioning, is its expansions. It has a ton of expansions out there. And the expansions are, in fact, very good. And there are some expansions that I think Intrigue itself is in the top 100. Now, the expansion is also, at least the tabletop game, is also standalone. I mean, you do need uh, some of the base stuff, of course. But it all the expansions are additional decks that you can play with. So when you play Dominion, great interface, really nice layout as far as You can see the cards, you can get the information, the cost, and a simple click or hover over and you can find out what actually the card itself does. You can play versus AI. AI is a little weak in my opinion, but again, I've played Deck Builders for quite some time. You can also play online, a lot of different ways to play online. You can also play with all the different expansions kind of mixed in or pick what expansions you want mixed in or block, ban certain decks from getting into your gameplay. And it's colorful, it's light, it's fast. It's something to play. The uh, the Steam version is nice because you get the big uh, display and interface. A lot of different ways to play it. A um, lot of kind of daily tasks to kind of go through. I'm really enjoying it. It's Dominion, it's Dominion. If you like Dominion, the tabletop game, you'll like Dominion, the app. Nothing gets in the way. Nothing super overly polished about it but it gives you enough of dominion to make you feel like you're playing dominion so dominion it gets a buy for me but also it's free so that's also great and then i would recommend checking out the expansions as you choose to because again you might know the expansions or just pick up intrigue or pick up the full bundle uh it's available now on steam android and ios it's definitely a buy for me
0: yeah i mean i jest but it, the pricing on the like digital expansions sure. is getting ridiculous but it's getting ridiculous yeah well <laughs> i mean it's getting more ridiculous i don't know i don't know how to word that but it it's bad is what i'm saying yeah. um but dominion is great so i'm not i'm not arguing yeah, with that in any sense of the word it's just i do prefer to have at least one or two expansions mixed in 100% the fact that the fact that you can't do that without paying at least five dollars, and then you're just getting the one expansion is a little frustrating. But base game, if you want to try it, I think it's a good deal.
1: Yeah, no, I think it's. And again, in, a, in the day and age where everything's on crowdfunding and you typically don't get to play the base game until you buy everything, it's nice to actually get to play the base game and see if you like the base game before you purchase something. Right. So I appreciate that, and uh, happy to give a few bucks as far as like. Support. Alright, well, something else that came out new was a Kickstarter that I backed, speaking about crowdfunding. Uh, this is Canvas Finishing Touches Deluxe Edition. Uh, this is something I personally backed on Kickstarter. I didn't initially back Canvas. Uh, and for those of you who don't know, Canvas is a very light, it's like a 1.67 on board game geek. It's a very light game in which you are painting pictures. How does it do it? Well, you have these canvas cards that have that are sleeved and then you take these clear cards, translucent cards with a piece of artwork on it. It could be I don't know, a bear, it could be snowflakes, it could be a castle. And then you eventually as you collect more and more of these cards, you slot them in to this to this b- big holder, the the canvas card, and as they layer over each other, you can see it becomes a single image. Now, that's nice, that's fun, but there's also symbols on the bottom, and the symbols allow you to score points. So there are randomized goals that come up, and you will primarily focus on the symbols, because the symbols are what score you points, the points are what wins you the game, how the particular picture looks does not matter at all. Now, if you get the uh, the later expansion, Canvas Reflection, um, there's some additional uh, bonus points as far as having certain elements in your picture. But typically, you build a, you build a painting from three of these translucent cards. You look to see how you match the symbols, match the goals. You get a ribbon. Get You do that three times, paint three pictures. You get more ribbons. You take a look at the scoring board. It tells you what the number of ribbons are are worth point wise and that's primarily the whole game there's nothing else too complicated the expansion reflection uh the main thing there is it has certain cards that have images on both sides so i think i had an image when i played which was like an ice cream cone that fell on the ground so if you could imagine the cone on top and then that big blob on the bottom you flip it over it's a frog wearing a wizard's cap why i don't know but it matches the same Image. <laughs> so that's the thing. And it's kind of fun. And the artwork is very cute and whimsical. Uh it's not it's not overly cartoony, but it's it's kind of a mix of watercolor, realistic, cartoonish. Forgive me, I don't know my artistic terms to be able to give you a, a perfect picture here, but you should look it up because it's it's kind of whimsical and fun. That being said, uh I I think it's a game that's good for the family. I play a lot of times with the family. Terrible for gamers because they're way too good at, like, matching symbols and stuff and don't enjoy the whimsy generally. But for families, for, I would say, non-gamers, for gateway gamers, I think this is a very good game. Now, the final expansion, which I recently picked up because kind of got into the vibe here and I was like, let me close it out. Uh, I, the finishing touches provides, I think, the most gamery part here. So it's going to add some additional uh, transparent uh, art cards, which is always nice to have. And then it also adds 11 painter cards. So different painters, famous painters from throughout history, uh, their own self-portraits are on these cards, along with a special ability. So at the start of the game, you could, people can choose, or you can randomize and give those out. And now you have a special ability. Some of the special abilities give you points throughout the game. Some special abilities are one-time, big, powerful moves. But generally, it's just a little bit of something. Maybe it makes something cheaper or free. It just adds a little something to the game. I love that part. I think if you're going to make a painting game, you do want to have these master artisans on as far as available to kind of play with. It really, it brings the game to another level. And I was really happy about that. Also, there are these um, really nicely done cardboard frames. So when you build your, when you paint your masterpiece based upon the number of symbols, you'll be able to place it in one of these four frames. Each of the frames has a different symbol as like, you must have the most of this in order to go in this frame. And it's a very decorative kind of piece you slide your painting inside the frame, it gets you four points, which is a holographic wooden token, which is really nice. And then throughout the game, people can knock you out of that frame if they have more of the symbols that match that particular frame requirement. If they do, they knock you out, but you can also knock them out again, and then by the end of the game, whoever's in those slots in those different frames will score two additional points. So It gives you two more points. It's not super crucial. Games usually go between, I would say, around 30 points. I think that's typically 30, 40 points is what you'll score in a game. It's nice to get four additional points. It really opens the game up. And finally, there's two new symbols. There's a star, which is, again, as you all know, playing board games, stars are usually like, hey, this is a wild symbol. And that's what this is. So you pick what kind of shape you want, because that's what scores points. That is what your star happens to be. And there's also a paintbrush, which also copies the symbol that's next to it. There's an arrow. So those two symbols on these new cards allow you to have more flexibility instead of waiting for that particular shape that you're looking for throughout the game. Now you have a little more choice. You can kind of lean into the artistic kind of picture that you're able to build. Because now you have these two additional basically wild symbols that come into the game. Makes the game a little more open and available. Especially for that kind of non-super gamer audience. But I enjoyed it too. I thought it was a lot of fun. So the base game is good. The expansion is also good. Because again, you just flip the cards over. But I think this final expansion with the frames. So that everyone can see your particular picture throughout the game because you're awesome and you're leading i think that's really sweet the randomness a little bit adding more stuff to the game is always good the painters excellent special abilities are always excellent i think it's a great expansion the expansion canvas finishing touches deluxe edition gets a buy for me i think this is the best out of the two if you're going to own one own this but you will certainly need the base game in order to play So. Yeah, it's done Please don't make any more They're very expensive And I like <laughs> them, but they're very expensive I get why, because art is expensive And artists deserve to be pay- paid And uh, and to create these great paintings But they're awesome And you can hang them on the wall Because they're also meant to do that too So, yay, canvas You did a thing, and I liked it So, yay
0: <laughs> I, I just love how you describe it like Your gamer friends won't be impressed And I was like, yep, that's how it went <laughs>
1: It went bad.
0: <laughs> I mean, it wasn't bad. I was just like, what? what? Okay. There My was kids would like this. There was mockery at the table. I think there was, there was. There was open yeah. mockery
1: at the table. Yeah, there was. But I think you need to do that because you need to know which audience is best for. I do think yes. this one, with the little bit of asymmetrical player powers and the frames actually showing off your painting, so it's not just something you just keep on the table off to the side, I think it adds a little bit more to the game. Does it still play? Would I still play this with gamer gamers? No, I wouldn't do that. But I think it's a much better experience. Everyone enjoyed it at the table. So yay, that's a thing. <laughs> yeah, that, that's good. That's good. <laughs> and that's what you want. And I think it, it, fits, that, it fits that really cool niche there. Uh, finally, another light game that I know a lot of people had a chance to play. I had not got a chance to play it. I played for the first time at Level Up Convention. I have since played it up several times. This was a game that we talked about. Anthony, I don't know if you and your family played it, but I got to play Flankraft. Have you guys got to play Flankraft?
0: Not yet. No, I haven't, and I had learned it and wanted to get it to play, but my my daughter's very busy soccer schedule has precluded that so far. Wow. You're but to... This weekend, probably.
1: All right, cool.
0: Priorities, Snack. man. Priorities, Snack. come on.
1: <laughs> So Flamecraft was really well known because it had this really beautiful, magical kind of artwork depicting dragons living amongst humans doing some really cool stuff. And that's awesome. And it was super whimsical, super, I don't know, I wouldn't say cartoony, but like that whimsical Disney kind of magic to it. And it had a lot of nice upgrade components, just even in the base game. And then the Super Deluxe Edition had metal coins and had really fancy foods that you can go along with. But the gameplay was light. I think that's all, it's pretty much what we all knew from the very start. So basically, the board itself is just this village that's laid out. And on either side of this very long rectangle is the different shops that you can visit. At the opposite end, one opposite end, Uh, There's basically kind of a market where there's five dragons out and available for you to pick up throughout the game. But that's basically it. You got your money, you got your resources that you'll pick up. And basically, your job is to take your dragon and to go visit these wonderful little stores that have these very whimsical artwork. And it's all about dragons kind of participating. So maybe they're baking... making bread by using their fire, or maybe they're making creme brulee. And it's adorable. It's cute. How could you not like this? It's a very simple game. Basically, you're going to do one of two things during your turn. You're going to either gather, which again, you send your little dragon off to one of the particular shops, and there's a lot of different shops. And you are going to gain the goods and the coins of those particular dragons that are hanging out that shop as well as whatever particular good or coin or special ability that that shop has to offer. So throughout the game, as you're doing that, as you're going out, you are playing cards on those particular sites, shops, that match those symbols. So you're actually adding to the value of the shops as the game goes on, and as more people visit, they'll get more resources. That's a lot of fun. You'll also have the opportunity to activate or fire up one of the dragons that's going to give you a particular special ability. There could be three dragons that are visiting that particular shop. You'll be able to fire up one of those dragons. And you'll be able to do a thing. So that thing could be any number of things. Move dragons around. Get additional resources. Score points. Points in this game are hearts. And that's kind of fun. Or you can enchant. One of those particular shops. And basically this is where the vast majority of your points are going to come from. You'll get some points from the shops and such. And also from end game cards. But primarily uh, enchanting allows you to turn in your resources. So it could be anvils or diamonds or potions. You turn them in to match that particular card. And then you place that card in that particular shop that matches the same symbol. And now that shop is enchanted, which basically means that throughout the game, there's an additional resource there. In addition to all that kind of fun stuff that you'll be able to do, you'll be able to fire up all of the dragons. So if there are one, two, or three dragons, let's say there's three, you can use all three abilities of those particular dragons. So that really chains off a lot of fun stuff. And I think that's really what people like about this game, is that it's completely accessible Really sharp, really smart, really streamlined, and having the different abilities of the dragons in those particular shops really adds to the gameplay because there's a lot of different things that you can do. So it's a lot of fun. And again, playing those dragons or that what they call fancy dragons is a lot of fun. I don't know. You know, they're fancy dragons. (laughs)
0: Fancy dragons. They're
1: fancy. They're super fancy. Uh the Fancy Dragons here, you're going to score points. There are different types. There's points you're going to score during the game. There are points that you're going to score at the end game. I think that was kind of the weakest part of the game because these special cards that you're going to score, it's kind of random. Did you, you know, you get the cards throughout the game? Are you keeping up with certain resources? Do you have the most of a resource? You might have a card that contradicts the other card. Have the least of this, but also have the most of this. Can't do both. You have to do one of them. If you can get one of them, again, it just adds a little more variety to the game. But at the end of the game, the scoring is kind of muddled. Uh, we all did very different things at the table, but we all had very close scores at the end at of the game, which I was kind of shocked by because, again, at the end of the game, you're going to have a stack of you know end game scoring cards which could score you two to eight points or more or less, depending on what happens in the particular game. I don't know. It played. (laughs) It was a game. Uh, This is certainly a game for people who have actually played tabletop games. I think Mm. non-gamers are going to be a little lost because I think it's one of those things where, like, it seems very simple and straightforward to us because we're used to, like, maximizing points or strategizing, like, combos at the table. And if you're not a gamer gamer, you may not think, like, I need to collect a certain number of resources before I move to a certain uh, shop because I want to put a certain dragon down, which is going to allow a certain thing to be fired up. So it's a little more challenge from someone who does not play tabletop games at all. I think they're going to have a little challenge. It's cute enough that I think they'll stay, but I think it's a little more on their challenging side. That being said, it does play okay with non-gamers, it plays great with gateway gamers, and for hardcore gamers, you've already played and seen all of this done in so many other games, that it's a little too light, it's a little too thin, but it's still very charming, and I think I think you'll still enjoy your play at the table. So Flamecraft. Because of its immense, incredible cuteness and its easy, accessible gameplay, I could see giving this a buy uh, for the lighter crowd. For the rest of us, I think you owe it to yourself to play a really cute, adorable game that actually has some quasi-decent mechanics. Uh, I could certainly see this hitting big box stores anytime soon. So, yeah, sit down, Flamecraft. It gets a strong play for me.
0: Great. Yeah, i got to get this one to the table. A lot of fun. A lot of fun. Alright, so that's everything
1: that we got to table this week. Let's talk about our feature review. So our feature review, of course, is the man, the legend, the enigma that is Vladimir Suchy and his top ten games of all time as of this date, this time, because he has other games coming out and they might be awesome or even more... I mean, they just might be worlds beyond us. But for right now, these are ten that are awesome. And some that didn't make the list.
0: <laughs> yeah. There's games. We're going to talk about games. That's what we do. We do that? <laughs> yeah. I don't know. You're, right.
1: <laughs> your, uh your, your Patreon this week is Top 10 Movies. So.
0: Oh, yeah. But that's not this podcast. That's a different podcast. Gotcha. Gotcha. Gotcha.
1: All right. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm
0: wondering that's how this works. There's, no. there's, there's, there's rules.
1: Is your top 10 movies as mysterious and varied? as Vladimir Sushi games are?
0: Mm, no. Okay. <laughs> I don't think so. Is it, is it's it, pretty standard for an elder millennial, uh, who, who grew up in the early nineties. Okay. So, so. It's, it, is it going to
1: be all, all nine Star Wars movies? <laughs> <laughs>
0: Just one Star Wars movie. Oh boy. Just one.
1: Be, better yeah. not be uh last Jedi. That's all I'm saying, man. <laughs> no. Okay. No, it's not last Jedi. <laughs> all right. We'll leave it there.
0: I like Last Jedi, but it is not... Oh, no. I don't don't go there, man. You don't like... I, you want to go there? You brought it up. I don't
1: know. <laughs> Nobody brings it up. All, All
0: right. right. All right. Suchi. He did not direct a Star Wars movie. Let's do it. If he did, it would be better than Last Jedi. Let's let's be honest. Okay. Come on. <laughs> Just come on, man. Luke Skywalker was a disaffected human being. It's fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, number 10. Let's, let's do it. Uh, 20th Century. This predates a lot of the games that people kind of know 2 for, uh back in 2010 and it is a game about countries kind of striving to develop and improve kind of in their own unique ways but it's a game about building out a land that is free of garbage and pollution which obviously does not really represent the 20th century but uh (laughs) kind of represents that was close vision (laughs) of the 20th century um So you are urbanizing your country, but you're trying to do it in a sustainable way. And it has some auction bidding mechanisms, uh, and tile placement to kind of build out your space. Um, interesting mechanics kind of built in here. It's not a well-known sushi game, but it's actually relatively easy to find. Um, when I wanted to add this game to my curriculum for my class, it was not hard to find. It was not expensive. So, uh, if you're interested in climate change, ish games, this is, you know, one of the better ones.
1: Yeah, that's great to hear.
0: Uh, next up at number nine is Woodcraft. We both played this uh, last year several times. Um, we reviewed it here on this podcast. I don't think either one of us was as impressed as we had been with his other games. Sure. Um, it the, the clever thing here, and again, each of these games has like a thing that makes it clever, mm-hmm. right? That seems to be Suchi's, I'm going to make a new game. Let's make it clever. Uh, so in <laughs> this one, you have dice that represent wood that you then cut and you move the pips. And you can glue them together or move them apart or split. You know, like it's it's creative in that way and how you're manipulating the dice with the theme being that you are in fact crafting things out of wood. Yes, um, the pips. So yeah. I always find that very fascinating. It's it's a cool way to do it.
1: I I think it's a super clever mechanic. Like you mentioned about 20th century. I think for Woodcraft, it's certainly the number of pips in the way that you're, you know, abstractly cutting the die, cutting the wood, cutting the pips into half or whatever it is, and or gluing these dice together to gain more pips on the dice or wood in this case. So smart, so cool, so fun. So, did not really work as well as I had hoped. Like, yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah no, it's not as good as the promise of that mechanic. Yeah. But very again, good. like, mm-hmm. Sushi, it's creativity, man. That's what he's known for. He's, right? it's, it's very creative.
1: It's very creative. The boards are really interesting, putting the tools out, having the, the helpers and things like that. And that spiral board where you can, you know, move your actions and take actions on the board. Uh, a lot of fun. A lot of, a lot of good stuff to be found here. And blueberries as currency, which I am a big yeah. fan of because blueberries are awesome.
0: Yeah, I, I love that. All right. Number eight is a game that came out in 2021, which is terrible, terrible timing. So, <laughs> un- unfortunately for Suchi. Um Messina 1347 is a game about rescuing people and fighting the plague yeah eh? that's fun right for 2021 that's a good time for that can't imagine
1: why this game didn't do better man yeah <laughs> i i i'm i'm a huge suji fan and i was thrilled when i heard he was coming out with another game and i was horrified when it was about the black plague because we were already dealing with the plague and i don't want any more plagues and i played a play game during the plague so there's a thing, Meta. I, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't want to be here anymore. <laughs> I just don't want to. <laughs> I don't want to do this. Uh, yeah. So it's it's an interesting Sushi game because you do have your own particular player board, and that player board allows you to play pieces out there in order to connect and gain additional resources. But the whole idea of the game itself is to run around this city board avoid the plague, avoid the rats that are out there, and to be able to save as many people as possible, get them off into quarantine, and then utilize them during quarantine to get additional resources and things. I don't know, that's that's kind of the weird part too, but yeah! So plagues, and also like doing good stuff during the plague to keep the plague down, because there's tracks, because it's a Sushi game, so there's always going to be some type of track out there. It's not a terrible game. It's just, it's not, it's not, it's just not Tsuchu's best game. It's, it's just, it's fine. It's a fine game. It's fine. I don't know. <laughs> I played it. It's fine. Like I said, I don't know. Yeah. Just, yeah. So, if you're looking for a play game to play during the play, this is, this is the game that you should be playing because it does a thing. So, <laughs> there you go, folks. thirteen forty seven. Woo. There you go. Blowing review. Woo! I did play it. Uh, we did review it. You can go listen to it if you can find it. It's we've done a lot of episodes, but it's there. So yeah.
0: yeah. Now we talked about this one. Uh, all right, the other game that came out from Suchi during the pandemic that is not about plagues, I don't think. No, uh, <laughs> is Praga Kaput Regni. It's about a bridge. Uh, it's about a bridge. Exactly the bridge. It's a bridge game. Uh, so this is about Charles the uh, Recently crowned king of Bohemia, ruler of the Ro- Holy Roman Empire, and building his new fortification, specifically the bridge. Yes. As well as a university and a cathedral and a bunch of other stuff, but the bridge. So we're building up Prague,
1: And the legend and... of using eggs to build up this bridge, I think, is the essential part, Anthony.
0: Oh, yeah, the eggs in the bridge. I forgot about the eggs in the bridge. Yeah, yeah.
1: You actually have it's eggs true. in this game, which... Not real eggs, but you have you have an egg kind of thing in the game. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. It's cool. Yeah, this is a cool game. The only issue I had with this game because I really enjoyed it and like the, the the wheel and like the action mechanisms and everything and it it was all very fascinating and it like worked as a kind of a complex puzzle. The only issue I had though is how busy the board was. Sure, it it was a little difficult to see what you were doing or where you had laid things down on the map already because the map is a little over engineered.
1: Yeah, um, the artwork is off off yeah. the chart
0: like, it's... it looks cool if you just look at it from a distance but while you're trying to play it it's hard to remember where you have already laid a tile mm. because of the way the artwork kind of pops off the map that's a weird thing to be concerned about but it really did make it difficult for me to engage with the game as much but mechan- mechanically I had a lot of fun with this
1: yeah clearly whoever did the art for the board excellent job like excellent excellent job but then for some reason you did not talk to the game designer because, like you said, it's easy for things to get lost. It's beautiful, it's ornate as all well, get out. And there's a lot on the board because you also have this massive wheel that has these actions on it. And that is like the main thing of the game, and that's also on the board along with all of these different city tiles that also have their own special abilities and things. And then on top of that, you have these uh, two unique cardboard structures that you have to build for the game. So, the cathedral and the hunger wall, which has this kind of like step-looking mechanic where you'll kind of navigate, move up, and move around in order to gain additional abilities and things. Plus the bridge, which is also a three-dimensional cardboard thing with its own special resources and things that you could pick up. So it's a lot of color. It's a lot of pieces. It's a lot of setup. It's a huge amount of setup. It's fun. It's a lot. It plays best at the full player count. And I don't mean that like, oh, it plays slightly better. Like you really want to play with the full player count because otherwise you're just not getting the experience of having the city tiles out there so that you can interact and jockey for position there. If it's, if it's less than the full player count, it just doesn't work as well, and again, you need everybody at the table to kind of manage, you know, the madness of the beauty of that game. Not to mention, yeah. even the player boards have their own particular wheels, which are gorgeous. Again, yeah. good. It's a fine game. Again, it it didn't blow me away, but I did enjoy it. I do own it. We did review it. We did even we even like managed to kind of work a remote version of this out. Because we wanted to get this to the table and was hotly anticipated. But it is a lot. It is a lot of a thing.
0: It's a lot of a thing, but I really did enjoy it a lot. Like it it works on a lot of levels.
1: It's a heavy game, too, we should say, because yeah. 3.74 on board Game Geek. So yeah. uh, if you haven't played it, you should. It's a big game to
0: own, but yeah. Alright. Uh next up at number six, we have the most recent vladimir suchi release um and this one working all by himself no co-designer uh evacuation oh so we again have suchi going like what's a weird weird thing i could do (laughs) that no one's thought to do before we have a like a worker displacement and placement game where you are evacuating one dying planet and populating another planet to which you have just moved all of your people um it's like even looking at the board and the way it's kind of structured and your own personal player board where you have like one side of the player board is the old world. And the one side of the player board is the new world and kind of like manipulating the, the pieces and the, the resources and where you're going. Um, It's a fascinating experience. The only issue I have with this is kind of out of the box. It's almost like Sushi didn't know how to present the game to people. Sure. Right. There's a race mode and there is a more traditional point-based mode. And the race mode is presented first in the rule books, but by all accounts, including myself, most people are like, yeah, just play the point. Yeah. The point version. Sure. So it's such a clever, interesting, unique mechanic, which is, as we move up this list, we're going to get into a lot of games that really lean into that, like the really unique nature and what we can do with games. An Evacuation, that's what caught my attention first. I'm like, oh, that's a really cool idea if he pulls it off. And he pulled it off. So here you go, number six.
1: Yeah, and again, the asymmetry of the boards is brilliant. The artwork for a space game is kind of unique. The Mm -hmm. graphic design is not too bad, but it's very old school Euro-y. And again, we'll see this mechanic kind of flushed out a lot more in some of his later games but again it's the idea of you you have your own particular economic machine and you have to break it down this one let this one's kind of more of an advanced model because you still have the old world that's producing resources and you have your population and you have to move that in the correct manner to the new world so you're actually managing two economic civic structures at the same time one feed into the other and there's some balance issues and some challenges along with it. So uh play the point mod play the point mode. Please, dear God, play the point mode. Uh because this game deserves a lot more respect than it is. But again, uh a great game from Vladimir Suchi and a heavy game. This has definitely got a lot of crunch. This is uh 3.97 on board game geek. Yeah. So evacuation just came out, definitely sit down and play it. But play the point model because again I know a lot of people out there, they get one play of a game and they they decide if they want to buy it or not. Play that version, please.
0: Yeah, play that first. If you love that, maybe try the race, but definitely start with points. Yep. All right, number five is The Prodigal's Club. This is kind of the unofficial sequel to another game we're going to talk about in a little bit, but um, you are trying to... uh, Well, well, Chris, you, you take it. Like I know you've played... This and, we'll talk to say Last Will. It's another game we're going to get to in a minute. Um, but it's kind of an unofficial sequel expansion, thematically related. It's, it's weird, like, the relationship between these two games.
1: Yeah, a lot of times when we talk about tabletop games, we talk about base game, and we talk about expansion. And sometimes they're standalone expansions. This is its own game. And you certainly can argue that... This is the better of this and Last Will. But this is also different than Last Will. And it is a standalone game. And it is a spiritual successor. But here's the twist. It also integrates with Last Will. Yeah. So you can actually combine both games, if you, if you want to do so, and get more of this kind of, like... It, uh, I don't, I don't know. I can (laughs) Brewster's millions, I guess a movie from the eighties, but like this idea that like you're just done with Victorian society. Like that's just, you've had enough of it and it turns out like you've been living on the rich side of it, but it turns out all the stuffiness, all the class warfare, all that kind of stuff that comes along with it. You're just done with it. The lower class has more fun. I got to ditch all of this in the in the biggest way possible. So, you're dealing with a lot of different areas of uh social, you know, class warfare and structures and stuff like this and elections as well. And you want to bring all that down on yourself so that you get kicked out of the aristocracy and just become a normal everyday person out there in the world and you can also include that with The Last Will, which again, has you breaking down your own particular business. So, Progress Club. uh, A lot of fun. Different take on The Last Will game, which we'll talk about. But it is its own unique game. And really, again, unique that you can combine it with another game and play both at the same time. I think the only game that I've heard does that, Century Spice Road, which is more of a recent game. Uh, But this is the better. This is, yeah, this is great.
0: Right. Uh, number four. Uh, before we get to Last Will, we'll talk about Pulsar 2849. This is from 2017, and it's a dice-drafting worker placement type of game in which you are exploring uh, kind of this open space world, trying to get to these different pulsars. But you're doing it by drafting dice from a communal pool and then taking a variety of different possible actions from the dice that you pulled, Right. So you can fly your ship around, you can take Different resources you can develop a pulsar at from this big round map with this kind of interconnecting grid. A different uh, paths um, you can build energy vectors that kind of allow you to kind of move across it more efficiently. Patent technologies you can buy things that modify your dice for the future, um, and there's special projects and everything. So it's this complex kind of there is point to point movement. You are moving around a lot, but at the same time it is essentially a worker placement game but with dice but in a very clever creative way that utilizes kind of the again it's a round board you can't have like four-dimensional space in a board game but it kind of tries to capture that idea of like how you're moving and how it's different than like a more traditional space Um, very fascinating a lot of fun and it's it's one of the more unique space-based euro games that i've ever played it, anytime someone says, What's a good space-based Euro? And I'm like, well, how weird do you want it to be? <laughs> and if they lean if they lean weird at all, I'm like, oh Pulsar. Like, try Pulsar. And if that's too weird for you, then I got a few other like more straightforward games. Sure. But uh Pulsar 2849 it's just very, very creative, very clever.
1: Yeah, it does he does an excellent job with with the whole space genre. Really impressed by that. Yes.
0: All right. Uh number three, Last Will. Just talking about that. <laughs> what do we think of Last Will, Chris?
1: Uh, Last Wheel is one of my favorite games of him and one of my favorite games of all time. It's always in my top 100. And again, in the Brewster's Million 1980s movie, I guess a million dollars is not a much, much anymore. No. Uh, no. Your rich uncle has stated that you will gain all these millions of dollars again, uh, but it's all about primarily, as from a Euro game standpoint, is you have all this money you must spend all this money, but the only way to spend the money is to build up abstractly all these this machinery or all these opportunities and things to do so. So like, hey, I need to spend as much money as possible. There's restaurants I, I can go to, but I can't possibly eat as much as I need to spend that money. Well, what if I buy a horse? Because then the horse... Yeah. Could he at the restaurant with me? Because, again, it's a funny, humorous game, and you don't see that in a lot of games, but you could do that. Because, again, rich people let rich people do everything. So, yep, so the horse much. is eating up stuff, so you get money, but now you have the horse to deal with. So it's really fun and inventive as far as, like, most of your games are all about build up this giant engine, this huge tableau of stuff, and then throw out some points. This game is build up this huge engine, tableau, of outrageous fun opportunities like selling real estate and things like that, and then you have to try to sell that, but you need the machinery to be able to do that. So it's a really interesting kind of like push-pull kind of thing, kind of like evacuation, where I need the thing to sell the thing. But I have to sell the thing that's allowing me to sell the thing at the same time. So you got to go broke. You got to go broke. So as quickly as possible. So uh, it's somewhat the anti Euro game as as far as like just building up is supposedly. But it's it's very fun. It's very fun. It's very inventive. It's one of the one of my favorite games of all time. Last will.
0: Yeah. I've always been fascinated, because if you look at the reviews on Board Game Geek, it's got a 7.2, which is perfectly fine. Mm -hmm. But this is a great game. And I think a lot of that is, anytime a game inverts the scoring structure, people get miffed by it. It's it's really twisted. Yeah, people are like, oh wait, no, I'm supposed to build up. I want the power fantasy. This is the reverse power fantasy. And I love that. I love when games kind of just mess with your expectations. This is really cool. Wait, that's it.
1: Yeah. So there's also an expansion with this, which is also fantastic. And again, I would highly recommend playing with the expansion. It's called Getting Sacked. So it's not enough to lose all your money, which you do at last will, <laughs> but you got to get fired from your job. Oh, yeah. And again, you know, and the, the, the fancy time out there, nobody wants to fire you because you're the upper crust and you get along with everybody. So now you have to do incredible things to get fired. So it's not just enough to miss work because, you know, all those things happen and you have to do that in order to win the money. So uh, yes, absolutely play with the expansion. It is essential. But if you don't, um, you're, you know, it's not the end of the world. But it's fun. It's more fun with the expansion. It's just, it's one of those rare expansions where it's a lot more fun. It's humorous. uh, And again, you get to do a lot of everyday kind of things. You can go off and get married. You can, you know, just, throw your boss <laughs> in certain places. Let's, <laughs> there's a lot of ways to get fired. Let's
0: just put it that way. Right. All right. Uh, last Will. Highly recommended. Number two. Game that, Chris, you've been singing the praises of pretty much since we started the podcast. Um, This original game came out in 2009. Yes. A couple of years before we got going. Uh, Shipyard. There's a second edition that just came out last year, but this game is, again, 15 years old tell us why it's number two
1: it's one of my favorite games of all time it's been in my top 10 for many many years it's certainly a game where if you saw it on the table you'd probably run in fear because Hmm. it is one of those games that has everything that a non-euro gamer fears when it comes to tabletop euro games it has Rondell's, man Got rondelles for days. How many rondelles? A lot of rondelles. I want to say it's the most rondelles a game has. I think I could safely say that. (laughs) It may not be true, but I want to say it anyway because it's got rondelles. And if you don't know if you like rondelles, it's going to be a little scary. Nonetheless, rondelles are awesome. So again, it's just moving around a track and then you get certain resources, but you can jump ahead, but sometimes it's not good and so forth and so on. But the main part of the game is you're building a ship in a shipyard. Surprise, shocker, right? And you have all these different parts of the ship, but of course you need resources to get those pieces. And as you build your ship up, you also need your crew for the ship and you need extra extravagant things for the ship. So you get to literally piece by piece, abstractly of course, because it's all cardboard pieces, but you get to build your ship up. So as the game goes, you're actually building little cardboard flat ships in front of you, put your crew on there, put the extra stuff on there, and then you send it off to score points. Then you have this little map system where you're able to navigate your ship on its like first journey. It's test run out there. And that'll also do things, resources, score points, and things like that. And then, obviously, one of the, my favorite parts of this game is it has this really interesting mechanic where you're given all these end game bonuses, and throughout the game, you have to you know give away certain you know certain number of bonuses as the game goes on until you work your way down to the few that you'll actually be able to score. So I love that because when you play a error game, especially something so massive as this, what the heck am I going to do? What do I need to focus on? Oh. Here's a whole bunch of things that are going to score me a ton of points. I will try to do some or all of these. All right, it's a third through the game. I couldn't do these. I'll cast those off. I'll focus on these, play the game a little bit more. All right, look, this is really where I'm coming down to. Get rid of the other things. And at the end of the game, you built towards a goal that you had in mind from the very start that guided you through this game that allowed you to truly thematically build a ship. Sail a ship and do everything that a typical shipyard does, so shipyard is awesome. You should play it whether it's the original version or what I fear is uh not the best a i artwork. I'm sorry, it just mm. it has yeah. artists attached to it, but it looks so a i driven that I'm just like initially when they were they announced this, this was certainly an acquisition to sort of mine. I was like. I want this. I'm going to get this. I'm on board for this. And then when I saw the production, I was like, I don't, the artwork is too slick and it doesn't really evoke much. And it's nice to have the meeple pieces representing the different things you put on the ship, but they look weirdly abstract and I missed the original version. I have the original version. I'm going to play the original version. If you have the new version, it's not terrible. It just looks a little different and plays slightly different, but shipyard it's awesome you should play it it's it's vladimir suji he does he does a thing
0: (laughs) it sounds great i gotta play this one yeah Um, i I
1: wish he would have taken it to space but fine it's i'm still okay with it yeah
0: all the space stuff get it in space man
1: (sighs) that would have been amazing
0: all right um so number one could be nothing other than the undisputed best game vladimir suji's ever made uh, this is the game that introduced me to Vladimir Succi. even though I already owned a couple of his games. I just didn't realize they were his. Uh, <laughs> Underwater Cities. Yeah. What a brilliant game. Yeah, no, it, we had, look,
1: we're playing Earth now, or we're playing Ark Nova now, and we're like, eh, it's good. Yeah. But Terraforming Mars is still there, and I, I kind of feel like I'm going to play Terraforming Mars. And then this game came out and we played this at PAX Unplugged. We we rushed and tried to deal with an actual play at the table. And we were like, oh, this is excellent. This, yes. this in a lot of ways, is superior to Terraforming Mars. And it, again, you're building up your... You know this wonderful underwater city with all of its tunnels and biodomes and it's really cool biodomes these little plastic domes that go on your kind of like architectural board and you're able to play cards to a particular tableau and you're also you know you play your action points onto this main thing where you're all jockey for position in order to get resources and special abilities. the cards are great the bonuses are great the artwork is fine the graphic design's all really smart and then you're able to produce and you produce several times during the game and you get this windfall of resources and you feel so smart for having <laughs> built up a great underwater city that could give you all these resources that you get to reinvest in order to build up more score more points reach different areas and then another rush of resources and you're like I'm loving this right this is this is great but also at the same time Game is tight, man. Game's super tight. Try to get a dollar on that game.
0: (laughs) Yeah. 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 It's it's such a So the thing about this game, and everybody compared it to Terraforming Mars for years. They still do. We we just did. Um, but the thing that makes it so much more interesting, and yet at the same time different, is that it breaks things down into those eras, right? It's not just that you're running through the 9-10 rounds. It's that they're broken down into these three eras, and the cards reflect that. And like you said, the income comes at the end of those eras, so you don't get income very often. So You really have to be clever and creative and efficient with the actions you take up to the end of that era so that you can maximize what you get back. Like, you can't hold an action back that's going to give you potential income until the fourth or fifth round, because then you're not getting that income that extra time. You need to get it when you get it. Uh, And then you're going to get new cards. They're more powerful. They're more interesting. But have you built up the necessary mechanisms to be able to utilize those new cards? Like it's all these interesting things that interplay with each other in a way that Terraforming Mars is like this big sprawling sandbox almost of a Euro game. This is a very tight curated experience in a way that you don't get from even from a wingspan, which is very curated, it is still pretty open, especially with the expansions. This is very tight, the decks are small, even the expansion does not really add a lot of cards to the game. It is like, no, these are your cards. This is well balanced. This is how it's gonna play out. So underwater city is just in terms of that kind of tableau, in terms of that times that kind of building, it does it better than any of this other game.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think the bonuses really work very well. Anthony, uh, talk about the expansion.
0: Yeah, so the expansion to this game, uh, new discoveries is—it's interesting, right? Um, you get the new discoveries is like the cover thing for the I- expansion, right? It's the opportunity to kind of dive down. You get these new metropolises that are available. You get the museum mechanic where you can go to the bottom of the ocean and kind of pull up these discoveries and give you prestige. Really, the reason that this expansion is so good is you get the new player boards that allow you to A, they're inset, so it holds the pieces. Nice. Slide all over the place. Much better. Much better. B, it comes with like 15 of them. Like they're double sided, but it comes with a bunch mm-hmm. that correspond to the different game modes and also give you options. So you have v- variability and asymmetry in the player boards, which is great. Um, and then beyond all of that, you get new starting resource tiles and assistance, which allow you kind of some additional asymmetry to start the game. I always use that asymmetry. I always use the new player boards. I do not like the museum at all. <laughs> like, I don't find it interesting. And it just kind of lengthens the game a little bit. But all the other stuff in the box is great asymmetry, additional cards, but not too many, just a little bit of more variety in the decks. Um, and the new play, the player boards alone. I, I would have paid $30 just for the player boards. So Same. It's a great expansion. Highly recommended if you love the game. You don't need to get it right away. Because it's just like adding variety to what you're already doing. Except for the player boards. Yeah, well, yeah. I, I wish those would just come in the box going forward. But they don't. Um, But yeah, Underwater Cities, New discoveries, great expansion.
1: Yeah, absolutely. 100% agree. The boards itself... The asymmetry there is a lot of fun. The extra stuff that comes along with the game is fun. The new cards, everyone gets a different assistant. It's also great. And there's a lot of inside jokes on those cards as well. Yes. So, yeah, yeah, it's great. Uh, yeah, love all of that stuff. It's a great game. Great game, great designer, great catalog game. The Ludology here, just amazing. Really lucky to have Vladimir Succi out there creating great stuff. Always looking forward to his next unique creation. And these are 10 great games. So be sure to check them out. If you have not gotten to Tsuchi, you certainly should. You will have a lot of fun, and you will always be surprised and engaged. I think that's really true, and very, very thematic games. And thematic games are really what we love most of all, where games do feel like they're doing the thing that the thing says it's doing. It's not just abstracted to all get out. So, So until next time, this is Chris. And let's see Anthony. And we'll save you all by seat at the table. Take care everyone. Bye.